To the Lottie Miss Cardi Blog Talk Radio Show for Saturday, October the 15th, 2011. I'm your host, Lottie Miss Cardi, and your co-host, Brenda Wright, will not be on the show this evening with us. But we're coming at you live from Columbus, Ohio, with fresh news every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This is the place to be, to get heard, and to hear what's going on right here on the Lottie Miss Cardi Blog Talk Radio Show. We have a great show for you this evening. We will be talking about how do average Americans get justice when our legal systems repeatedly hand them injustice. And our guests for today on the show are Judge Deanne Salcedo, Attorney Zena Crenshaw-Logal, and Chief Deputy U.S. Marshal Matthew Fogg. And also we have an in-house guest, and his name is Hasid Nagon. He is a community activist here in Columbus, Ohio. I want to welcome you all on the Lardy Miss Cardi Blog Talk Radio Show, and we will get started after these messages. We are back on the Lardy Miss Clardy Blog Talk Radio Show for October the 15th, 2011, and we're going to get into the subject, the legal system. Can the average American get justice? How do 
average Americans get justice when our legal system repeatedly hands them injustice? Can the legal system impose on your rights? Can our legal systems be trusted to stand on what is decided in all fairness? Has the U.S. Supreme Court closed courthouse doors on legitimate civil and constitutional rights as well as government whistleblower claims? Does judicial self-policing offend if not violate the Tenth Amendment of our U.S. Constitution? Stay tuned in for another interesting topic right here on the Lardy Miss Clay Blog Talk Radio Show. And we have with us, we have Attorney Zena Crenshaw Logo. Am I saying that name right? You sure are, Miss Clark. Miss Clark, how are right. you doing? I am great. I am glad to have you here on the show. And I also want to give this shout out also to Judge Deanne Salcedo. Are you out there where you're able to connect this evening? Um, I should be. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you very well. Thank you very much for both of you being on the show this evening. And so the topic that we are talking about this evening is how do Americans get justice when our legal system repeatedly hands them injustice? And before we get started, I would like to first ask a question to uh, Attorney Zena Crenshaw Logo. Um, what is what is the NFOJA, the National Forum on Judicial Accountability? What well, is a, that all about? It's a, it's a it's essentially an effort to get on the ballots across um, in, in in every state across the country um, legislation. Uh, an opportunity for the citizens of each state to vote to have legislation that puts responsibility for discipline of state judges in the hands of randomly selected, trained private citizens. So it's okay. an effort to get more direct citizen involvement in uh, judicial oversight. Okay, that sounds good. I like that. That that that's something that we all need right here in Columbus, Ohio. That's for sure. Um, and to you. Um, Judge Deanne Salcedo, um, I see that you have here, and I'm going to read this um, this bio on you, which is you're the first America America's first whistleblower judge, and having named names and proof file, uh, file proofs of judges and deputy district attorneys willfully uh, failing to follow the law in domestic violence cases and that you were appointed to the Superior Court of California in 2002 and retired in 2010 with threats of discipline linked to your no-nonsense courtroom demeanor. And, and, and I wanted to know, I see that you have a quote that's here, which is a favorite quote that you have, and it is, well-behaved women seldom make history, and history you intend to make as a founder of JAWS, the Emerging Judicial Action Watch Society. What is that all about? That's very interesting. I would like to know. Well, thank you. Um, Judicial Action Watch Society actually is a name given to me from a local attorney, um, who respected me in my in my courtroom activity and my whistleblower activity, but the the mission statement of JAWS, as we call it, is public service through educated court watching. Yes. 
And the idea there is I found as a judge, and you get approached a lot out in the community, schools, parties, whatever, that the average citizen, the one who is most impacted by our courts, because they usually don't don't have that legal savvy, um, they really don't know a lot about how the court system is supposed to work. Yes. So oftentimes when it has not worked correctly for them, they are basically behind the eight ball when it's too late. And so I'm trying to get out there and be, like, proactive and get people educated before they need to know about the court system um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for themselves before others. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that sounds like. That sounds like a thriller right there. That's for sure. I like the Thank sounds you. of Jaws. That's for I sure. Know. And, and we need that here in Columbus, Ohio as well. I thank you very much for um, for giving me the honors to interview you both. Um, attorney Zena Crenshaw Logo is an attorney, and she worked as a civil trial attorney for more than a decade before becoming a full-time judicial reform activist in 1998. She is the co-found, she has co-founded and is co-administrator of National Forums on Judicial Accountability. In that capacity, attorney Crenshaw Logo authored the soon-to-be-published law review entitled The Official End of Judicial Accountability Through Federal Rights Litigation, Ashcroft versus Igbal. She strives through NFOJA to get past debates on judicial integrity with workable solutions to help ensure America's judiciary is unbiased, remains faithful to the Constitution, and follows the rule of law. And asking this question to you, if you don't mind if I, I call you um, Attorney Zena or Zena, is that okay? How about Zena? That'd be fine. All right. Thank you very much, Zena. Um, tell us a little bit about the Ashcroft versus Igbal case and what does and where does this uh move uh for 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 this movement that uh you guys are trying to do to bring reform to the judicial system where does this particular case uh fall in the balance to help to uh make that happen well the Ashcross versus Igbal case came out of the US Supreme Court in 2009 and it created a, a an uproar uh, in the civil rights and constitutional rights community because basically what the Supreme Court ruled was that it will not, when you come into court it will and, and, and file a lawsuit, it will not be enough for you to show, for your for your um, the original lawsuit to show that it's possible uh, that you are entitled to relief, it's possible that your civil rights were violated. Um, you will have to show um, that, it's, that it's more likely than not. Now, what happens is a lot of times when someone's civil rights have been violated, let's say, for example, you were fired for your job because of mm-hmm. age discrimination, um, yes. you have, you'll have a certain set of facts. Maybe you'll have um, evidence that everyone was promoted over you, they were younger, um, that sort of information. Um, but the, your employer, to justify getting rid of you, says you weren't a team player or you, you yes. had a, a record of being late. Most of the time when someone gets fired, it's not just one side of the story. You have your employer saying you did something wrong, and you have evidence that it's some type of unlawful discrimination. Well, okay. what, what, what's happening is the 
court is, is basically saying that you've got to come in with some type of smoking gun. You've got to come in with some type of nearly conclusive evidence before the case even gets started to prove that there, that there was nothing else but un, some unlawful act that that um, violated your rights. And most of the time yes. we don't have that when a lawsuit starts. We need to come in and we need to get discovery. The defendant has all of the information. They have all the memos. They have all the records of the meetings. We weren't there. All we have is evidence that we know doesn't stack up and um, suggest that our rights were violated. So um, that was a, a big uproar because basically it became much harder to, to for particularly civil rights uh, People, uh, people who allege a civil rights claim to even stay in court and have an opportunity to get uh, discovery to prove their claims. Now, with regard to with regard to the judicial accountability um, community, because notice I talked about civil rights claims, and I'm just about done um, answering your question. For the yes. judicial accountability community, our problem was. If a judge is, is is going to think that your claim is implausible, that it probably is not a good lawsuit, they certainly are going to think that if you're alleging some type of judicial misconduct, and that's why we have a big problem with the Iqbal case. I and see. I, and, I, and, my, and my article says that this is the official end of being able to try to prove judicial misconduct through federal litigation. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Zena. Um, I want to ask another question here. Excuse me. I want to ask another question here uh, concerning, um, as I was reading through the Igbal case, where it talked about such proposed pleading standards would create a catch-22 for civil rights and human rights plaintiffs. Uh, they, uh, and, 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 and can you explain I, you know, it can be you, Zena, or or or, or Judge uh, Salcedo, but can you explain what is the catch twenty two dealing with uh, discovery on a on a high what is it called a high standard uh, discovery case or a person that has to uh, 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 get a discovery before discovery actually happens? What is the catch twenty two with that? Well, basically what the catch-22 is that the the person that you're trying to prove did something wrong has all the information, has all the best proof. And you're in a a catch-22. You've got to prove something. You've got to prove that you're entitled to have uh, an opportunity to conduct discovery and get the very proof that you need. Mm -hmm. Now, I I can't, can't imagine that that sentence made a lot of sense, and, 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 and that's exactly the, the catch-22 that it that's all it. puts us in. Uh, uh, well, and um, then I'd like to add, as a judge, a lot of times we're asked to rule on these cases, and all we have before us is the black and white print. And that doesn't translate very well as far as when you're trying to judge credibility, as mm-hmm. far as motivation for maybe workplace action or things like that. And that's why, you know, people really should be allowed to go to trial without any form of punitive consequences because credibility is really hard to judge just looking at a written statement. Yes, and some judges, um, when you make allegations, some judges will um, think that what you're saying is more likely to be true than other judges. 
some judges, um, the idea of, for example, there being racial discrimination um, on the part of a, an employer, a corporate employer. Some judges will be more inclined to think that that happens. Other judges will uh, more inclined, be more inclined to think that that's something that's just in your mind, that there was more, more likely than not there was a good reason for, for terminating you. So um, it becomes a very unpredictable environment where, um, you, you know, from one judge to another, one judge would think you had a legitimate case, whereas another judge would think you're not. You don't. And we're, we're supposed to be able to have our rights based on the law, not a, the personal opinion of the presiding judge. Right. I understand that. That's good stuff. I, I like the sounds of that. And uh, to the uh, the Chief Deputy U.S. Marshal Matthew Fogg, how 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 did you uh, Zena and Judge Salcedo come in contact with him on uh, on coming out to talk on the vitality of Stardesis in America? Uh, I see that you have your um, I, I see that you have your uh, convention that's going to start here at Washington, D.C., metro area. Um, and tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, Mr. Fogg is a, a longtime civil rights activist. He took on the U.S. Uh, Federal Marshal's Office and won a land, landmark decision against that uh, federal agency. And a jury determined that the U.S. Marshal's Office created a racially hostile environment for all of its uh, African-American deputy U.S. Marshals. And mm -hmm. it was just groundbreaking because we've all heard of the Blue Wall of Silence. And um, and I'm sure Judge Salcedo will talk about uh, the yeah. equivalent of that among yeah. judges. Well, law enforcement, you know, you're, expect, you're expected to back your own. You're not supposed to um, go out and, and, and accuse uh, your own of any type of misconduct, and mm -hmm. um, Mr. Fogg bucked that system and says, "No, you know, you all are are you know systematically discriminate discriminating against us. So how are you treating private Americans? Right? You know, and and, and he right. came he came associated with the quote bigot with badges. Mm. And well, that's we got how I met him here in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> I met, <laughs> <laughs> I met him six years ago um, and talking about these various civil rights issues and his case. And um, when I, you know, when we went to him and said, you know, we need to talk about the courts, we need to talk about how the yes. courthouse doors are being closed on civil rights yes. claims, he yes. was willing to uh, underwrite, sponsor, help fund a major portion of our event that's coming up in Baltimore and that is named after him. Thank you. Thank you, Zena. That's good stuff. I'm telling you because uh, the things that you're talking about is some of the things we really do need help here. We need the dough kicked in over here in Columbus, Ohio, uh, with the words that were just used, uh, bigot bandits, you yes. know, and I'm not, I'm not laughing, but, you know, a, it is kind of on the funny side because, you know, you have bandits everywhere you go. I, you know, and and what we would like to see happen right here in Columbus, Ohio, is a something a reform to take place here. But it's very, very hard to uh, get it done here because people live in fear, um, especially the grassroots communities. You know, which uh, the crimes are being done to, whether it's from the police all the way to the judicial system, and. And to hear about the, 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 the silence, I would like to hear more 
on that, um, uh, Judge Salcedo, would you please uh, explain about the, the blanket of silence? I would be happy to. In fact, that's going, that is the title of my new book, which is planning to be published next year. It's called Silence Kills, or How Career Suicide Saved My Life. And I discuss yes. um, the backroom deals, the political pressures that are put on judges um, in collusion with both prosecutors and defense attorneys mm-hmm. to just sort of scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, We'll all go to the same dinner table later on and have steak and lobster. And meanwhile, the average citizen has no idea how their rights are violated in the courtroom. And um, I've just always been a community activist from the get-go. That's how I became to be uh, appointed Mm -hmm. by the governor in California to my position. And I wanted to be a judge since I was 16. And it was just a, um, a major disappointment for me to see the collusion that was going on between attorneys and judges um, to sort of make their lives easier at the expense of public safety or the public's best interest. And because I would not be quiet, because I publicly called out attorneys and judges on the record, I quickly became what I like to fashion or call as a, as a Mexican descent, a, a human piñata. Whatever side uh, didn't like me that day because I was going to call them out either for not serving the public's interest or uh, being dishonest with the court as to mandatory laws. Um, I pretty much became like someone who had neither side of the bar associations willing to speak up on my behalf when the powers that be decided she's speaking too loud and too often. And that's okay. I knew that when I spoke. And I believe there's value in speaking up and in having that courage and integrity. Like, but I also tell people, but it doesn't pay well, so you got to know that. <laughs> um, but that's okay. That's right. Because, you know, I, I have what I need for today, and tomorrow comes, I'll worry about tomorrow. And unfortunately, um, in this economy, there's a lot of pressure put on people to keep their jobs. Even when they see somebody else doing something wrong, they have obligations at home. They have children to feed. They have people to house themselves. And that fear can sometimes overwhelm the willingness to be courageous. And that's kind of what we're dealing yes. with across America. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's I the reality. That that's the reality. Yes, it's a reality. Yes. You're absolutely right. And, and again, you know, um, people are afraid, even those that work within the legal system, that see what is happening and the hardship that uh, average Americans go through being uh, litigators in the system and being dealt with unjustly and their cases being swept up underneath the rug. And even as I was uh, had just had some recent uh, 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 information that come over to me, um, I, it was based upon uh, the oath of the judges right here in, in Columbus, Ohio, where uh, – where they're uh, they're supposed to have three elements of an oath to take, which is the U.S. Constitution and also the yes. state's constitution and also yes. their uh, seat of office. And come to find out, I had did research on about ten judges, okay, randomly from not only just trial but up there in Supreme and also in the appellate court and found that these particular ones that I have did the research on had uh, omitted 
to oath to the U.S. Constitution, and then they go into uh, uh, into the voting ballots and uh, put on this air as though that they have um, uh, uh, finished their terms before they actually go back to vote and come to find out they then started to vote, got into the ballots, and their their terms not even up. And so we had to go before the election, uh, the, uh, the electors or election commissioner's office, uh, where where I was uh, used to go and to talk to the panel that was there concerning uh, the fraud or what they are doing, considering getting in uh, in the voting ballots to be voted before their time and terms are up, and uh, and also finding out that after they have omitted to oath to the U.S. Constitution, here they are, uh, they have admitted to uphold the U.S. Constitution come voting time, and then after the votes are in and their term is up, then they go back and uh, omit out on the next oath the U.S. Constitution. And again, uh, that's a that's a worry uh, here in Columbus, Ohio, where there are cases. I don't care if they're on the federal or on the civil uh, uh, area of, of litigation um, in the courtrooms, they're 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 tearing up. You know the uh, the average people that is here in the courtroom, they're not even getting their rights heard based up off of this. So even though we have people that work and they got jobs and they need to speak up and they can't because they're scared that they'll lose their jobs and the people are fearful to come together and uh, uh, stand up for what is being done to them. I commend uh, both of you and um, Mr. Fogg for uh, coming together to try to uh, speak on these areas of the judicial system, what they are doing to defraud the people and victimize them and take away their rights. Um, it's, it's a shame. And I want to know, it's a question to you, uh, Judge Salcedo, um, what made you become the whistleblower? I mean, people are afraid to whistleblow, even even at the grassroots level, because they scared they're gonna get killed, all kinds of stuff. How how did how did you decide that you wasn't gonna take no more or see no more of injustice being done? Well, thank you for asking. Um, I had a direct connection between my supervising judge, Judge Peter Detta who was the one repeatedly telling me to ignore the mandatory laws on domestic violence cases. Mm-hmm. He would come down in my courtroom and call me and say, you know, I'm getting complaints. You're making attorneys' lives difficult. These plea bargains are taking up court resources. We need to devote it to more important cases than domestic violence. And I wouldn't budge. And he just kept coming to me and coming to me, so that's how I got on his, like, senyata list. Be that as it may... At the same time that he increased his harassment of me to the point where I had to get his permission before the court clerks yes. were going to make copies of my courtroom paperwork, okay? <laughs> um, that's how much he had removed authority from me within the courthouse. I couldn't even get my own copies made without his approval. Um, I learned at the same time this harassment of his was increasing on a monthly basis that he was the same judge who had signed off without question on a plea bargain for a man who ultimately ended up killing two teenage girls um, immediately after he was off of parole 
when Judge Detta was the man who sentenced him to this very low term end of the deal, even though the court's own psychologist had said this man is a predator, he's dangerous, he's unremarkable, and he's manipulative. So it was there in black and white again for anybody to read, but Judge Detta, as he told me every time he came to talk to me on a monthly basis about plea bargains, he used to say our role as judges is to just sign them, don't question it, get the case off the court's burden. And I used to go back and forth with him that, no, there's a reason why we had a final say on these plea bargains. We have to make sure the public's best interest is being monitored. Um, but anyway, I learned that he was that same judge that just signed off on that plea bargain, gave that man a lower term, causing that man to be released from state prison years earlier than he should have, and as a direct mm-hmm. result, this man was out and free and able to kill two local San Diego teenage girls within about 18 months' time of each other. And I am a mother myself. Um, I've been a, a victim of domestic violence myself. Uh, I am also a survivor of childhood molestation. So all of these things wow. have combined. Yes, all of these things in my life have combined to want me to work in public service, to be yes. there for people who haven't had a voice. Okay. Yes, that's, so yes. it's a personal issue. You know, yes, I swore an oath, but I always understood I was a public servant and I intended to serve people who couldn't speak for themselves. Ms. Clark, so I was compelled make, based upon all that to speak up. Ms. Ms. Clardy, can I make two two points in response to um some things yes, that both yes, you and one of yes. the whole, about the about the notion of people being afraid to be involved and being afraid of retaliation, and certainly for sure, um, not everyone is going to you know be at the front lines like Judge Salcedo, like yourself, like myself. Yes. But yes. what I'd like to emphasize is we have to be creative in our in, in in our strategies for getting involved and helping. Everybody doesn't have to be on the front line. Everybody doesn't have to grab a bullhorn. And, and start, yes. you know, leading the, the protest march. But we have to be That's willing true. to do something. I used to encourage members, if you, I mean, what, we do a lot of things by email, but um, I used to tell them you could give a, a group a roll of stamps, 100 stamps, and, and you would be making a big contribution to grassroots reform. That that's yes. not so important now that we do so much by Internet, but I'm just trying to give a sense of how there's a lot that people can do. Um, $20 contribution anonymously, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. don't have to, to get out there and risk everything um, if you feel that, that that's not something you want to do. And the other point I want to make is Judge uh, Salcedo's background that she's described. One of the professors that are going to uh, be uh, presenting uh, at the University of Baltimore with us next week, he has pointed yes. out that most times, um, rarely do judges with Judge Salcedo's background and tendency to be a community activist and be concerned about people in the community, rarely rarely do they make it to the federal bench. And yes. um, so one of the things we're going to be pointing right. out is you have um, these judges that are dominating uh, the federal bench that come out of big corporations, that come out of government, and mm-hmm. they, 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 they have a natural um, faith and trust and, and, and arguable bias for these institutions, and they're making decisions, closing the door on these uh, civil rights claims and, yes. and, and, and making it more difficult for us 
as average citizens to hold them accountable. And um, what one of the things we're going to be emphasizing is that our judicial system should should not reflect the 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 philosophy of some exclusive group, some elite group. Uh, they are essentially making law. And I agree. That is a, a we see that as improper, arguably a violation of our separation of powers. Um, it would if we you know people had the same kind of complaints when 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 U.S. Supreme Court judges were creating uh, uh, expanding civil rights for African Americans. They felt like yes. it was judicial activism. But the point is, in our country, no one group should be able to impose their social philosophy on all of America. Not through the judiciary, anyway. Okay. I mean, Zena makes an excellent point there, Ms. Cardi, because the federal bench will make addresses more constitutional issues on the national level, which this is a national problem. And everybody knows to get on the federal bench, I mean, you have to be squeaky clean. We're talking vanilla. We're talking practically no personality, no offense, and any federal judges. But you ha- it's like a, been a goal of theirs for so long that they they don't even like venture out. It's almost like they don't even like participate in real society. And I think you're losing that part of society's value when you have so isolated yourself so as to make it through this gauntlet of going through the federal senator's scrutiny that you can't even say, yep, I learned from that mistake because you're not even allowed to have a mistake as a judge. Yeah. On the federal bench. So you don't have that Damn. value of learning from mistakes that you could even admit to. So if you can't even admit to being able to make a mistake that you've learned from, how are yes. you then going to be in a position to judge someone who's saying, Your Honor, I made a mistake. I can do better. I will do better. If you're sitting up there taking an oath to uphold the Constitution going, I've never made a mistake in my life, or so you think. You know, so and then getting back. Go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying sometimes the public doesn't like it when judges act human or they don't like it when judges make mistakes. But the public also has to remember, who do you want to judge you? Do you want the judge that has never made a mistake and thinks they, you know, are perfect? Or do you want the judge that understands, oh, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, and I learn from that situation, and I believe in this person too. So that's the public also has to educate themselves on, what have we asked of our judges, and are we getting what we asked for? And, Ms. Carter, you notice we've done a lot of talk, talk about um, the judicial system and, and problems with um, mm-hmm. the judges only representing one um, one viewpoint in society, um, and those are very serious problems, and we have not said anything about crime or corruption. So often you hear people talking about lawyers and judges being crooks and being corrupt, and that's certainly, you know, a a big aspect of the problem. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to um, help people understand is that, you know, there are some some fundamental problems with our judicial system um, that go beyond just, you know, people meeting in back alleys exchanging money. (laughs) Yes. Yes, and after all, this is the only system that we do have, and yes, it does need a little touch-up. You know, it needs a little bit of reform uh, to come up to date a little bit, even though that this is the only justice system that we do have. And, you know, and I was looking at uh, 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 Mr. Falk's symposium on Stardesis and where – you know, 
when there are uh, specific cases uh, that are being used as precedent and uh, judges that sit on the bench um, uh, go a different way and they don't stand by what is decided. Explain some of that. Yes, it's, it's called stare decisis. It's a Latin term, and it really is just a doctrine of precedent. And it's a basic rule in this country that judges are, they're not absolutely required to follow um, law, uh, whatever decisions, prior decisions. Um, they, they can make changes. Uh, but if they if they if they make a decision different from um, previous decisions, if you have similar facts and circumstances, you should you, your decision should should be the same as as the decision that was reached in the case made um, before your decision. That's basic rule of uh, of thumb. And why is that so important? Because if yeah. you want to go on the court. It, your you can or your lawyers can look at you know do the legal research. They can say, well, in this situation, the person won, and our our case is very much like that. So we sh- we have um, every reason to believe that we have a good case. We are justified in going to court, and um, you go into court, and maybe um, you may want to say that uh, you may want to argue for. Uh, your case may be a little different, but you feel like you have a right to be there. The problem mm-hmm. that I, our members have is they do their research, they have the cases, it seems like they're entitled to, to be in court, and the, what happens, what actually happens is something they never expected and something that doesn't seem fair at all. And a lot of people don't realize that the basic job that judges have is to rule to administer justice in a fair and impartial way. So fairness should be whatever the outcome. Most people should have a sense that is fair. And with members, and I've been doing this full time since 1998. And you may not know all the law, you may not know all the facts of a person's case, but yes. over and over again, people I encounter when they tell you what happened to them in court, you will get the distinct impression that the outcome was not fair. Uh, and and to add another question to that, since I was talking about the oath and uh, where we have discovered, um, even though we know that this is uh, public information and a lot of people don't know that uh, they can go and find out if the judges that they have are 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 proper and doing their oaths and different things to be on the benches to to administer judgments. Um, what 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 can we do about uh, the, you know those specific judges in any state that may have um, have omitted in their in their oath taking to do a proper oath and omitted the U.S. Constitution, which could very 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 well uh, hurt the average American person uh, from from having uh, justice like they are supposed to have, and um, what can be done about that? You know, because uh, that's an issue too. That could be a, a, another area uh, for the reasons why uh, uh, the average American person can't get justice. I, I, I would like to know what can be done about that. Well, um, I have a question. This is Judge Salcedo. I'm not 
I'm not familiar with what you're saying, and I know I, as a judge, my very first act of being sworn in, I was sworn in as my, by my presiding judge, and I had to read out loud the standard oath, which was to the federal and state constitution um, mm-hmm. and any local judicial rules of ethics, et cetera. And then thereafter, I'm not sure if it was every four years or every six years, I had to reaffirm that oath um, yes. by signing a piece of paper. Yes. So, and I never had that on my radar. It, that was something that was more administrative and the judicial secretaries would present it to us in a special mm-hmm. envelope with a deadline to sign it by. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're saying that oath was never signed that second time, or just saying yeah, when, they did, it, lot, yes, when they yes. did it, did they just write it out it's and exactly. scratch it out, or what happened? Like I'm not clear what what well, the I, question is. I, I, what, what, I, what I'll do is I'll put on the air as we speak um, with uh, Hasid Nagone, who is a community activist right here in Columbus, Ohio, and um, and we can come to some conclusions at that point too. I'm gonna introduce him. Uh, welcome on to the Lardy Miss Clardy Blog Talk Radio Show. Thank you very much. And you know, and we're here, you know, discussing the issues on judicial reform. I'm sure you've been here listening to uh, all the various of uh, 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 things that's going on with the legal system. Help to understand uh, about the oaths and what has happened, because not only are you a community activist, but you are actively still involved uh, in in several cases here uh, dealing with this kind of action. Absolutely. But before we speak to the issue of the um, the oath, I'd like to take a moment and address the issue as uh, I heard the judge eloquently put it, that there's so much greed and Mm -hmm. uh, backdoor deals. And I just want to speak to the listeners out there that um, are hurting right now because economically we're in a bad situation and you feel that you might feel that you're at the end of your rope, don't give up. Don't give up. Tie a knot and hang on. Help is on the way. I, I know it might sound sound hard to do, but, but you have to have faith and hold on because uh, we're, we're going to turn this thing around. And back to the, the judge's oath, uh, I'll give you an analogy or example uh, it's like taking a driving test. You have two parts. You have the written part, and then you have the road test. And if you fail the written part, you don't get a license, a driving license. You have to have the written part, and you have to have the uh, the uh, a road test. Well, in the case of a judge's oath, there's two mandates. One, that they uphold the United States Constitution, and also to uphold the state constitution. And if they agree to uphold the state and fail to uh, uphold the United States Constitution, they they have not complied with the requisites, and therefore they're still citizens. They're not uh, qualified to be judges at that point. They failed the test. So in, in, in saying that, what we have is people here that uh, we believe they have ulterior motives not to want to uphold the United States Constitution. I myself am an African American, and one of the the things in the United States Constitution that made me and my ancestors free was the 14th Amendment and the 13th Amendment of the Constitution. And we have people here that believe that um, I'm undeserving to be a citizen of the United States because I'm a second 
a class citizen because my ancestors came over on the boat and didn't come through Ellis Island like a few others. So they don't want to hold to to uphold the United States Constitution, and what they agreed to do is uphold the state constitution, whereby they're in essence saying that if an African American or a person that is not um, a a normal U.S. citizen that they might not receive uh, full justice coming to to that that uh, courtroom, and so we believe that justice should be administered administered fairly. It should be administered without um, uh, reference to one's uh, color, creed, or or, or national origin uh, of their ancestry, and and so those are some of the things that. Uh, have the system uh, haywire, as we would say, as a result of the backdoor deals coupled with the fact that uh, the judges don't have an oath, so therefore they don't feel an alliance and an allegiance to the people to give and administer justice impartially. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, does that help to... Um, understand where we come from with the oath itself? It does. Um, Zena, did you want to make any comments before I respond? Because I haven't heard from you, and you're always so interesting and elegant yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, the That's um, right. oath, and, and I, know, I know across the country there there are people who um, are they called oath, oath, keeper, oath keepers, and they're very concerned about the absence of um, up-to-date oaths on the part of judges. Now, I have, I, I'm not clear as as to whether this is an administrative o- oversight, meaning mm-hmm. you heard Judge Salcedo talk about uh, every four years after being first administered the oath, um, they have to re-sign and reaffirm their commitment to the to the right. uh, state and, and national constitution, or if there's some type of um, deliberate refusal. To, all the above. Yes. It's, to, it's to all show, the above. show allegiance. Okay. Oh, now, yeah, now can you above. tell me this? What? What? Now, the evidence. What evidence um, do you all have locally that um, the judges are deliberately refusing to take an oath to enforce the U.S. Constitution? Just a moment. Um, it's 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 um, funny that you would ask that question, and and I'm going through something personally. I can I can share with you personal cases, uh, other cases, but I, I'll, I'll refrain to just uh, focusing on my own. I am uh, a victim of a national scandal. Um, the national scandal involves the legal system, whereby uh, an insurance company decided they would uh, uh, sell living trust and wills and powers of, of attorneys to help sell their insurance products, being annuities and uh, life insurance products. And so they recruited some attorneys to go out and solicit their clients to to uh, take these kits that were prepared by the insurance company. That's unlawful because the insurance company cannot practice law. They're in the business of insurance, and those are two separate uh, businesses that can't be commingled. And uh, they put these, these uh, trust kits into the marketplace, and unsuspecting persons uh, bought the trust, and subsequently they lost their life savings. Having said that, 
I'm in a situation that I'm a victim because uh, the inheritance was, was interfered with. And what has happened is some of the judges on the bench have taken upon themselves to um, act as gatekeepers to make sure their colleagues who have uh, solicited uh, citizens to purchase these products that they won't get prosecuted. And what we have is there was a, a judge, a Chief Justice Thomas Moyer here in Ohio, and he recently passed. But before he passed, he did take one of the attorneys to the bar, and the attorney admitted his guilt in, in this national scandal. And this particular insurance company has been going around the country attempting to do class action settlements to, to settle with the people. But nonetheless, persons like myself that are victimized – uh, Judge Moyer did rule in our favor. What he did, Judge Moyer, was he rendered an order finding that it was the unlawful practice of law for an insurance company to do estate plannings, and any estate plannings that were done by uh, the insurance company uh, were incurable. Now, having that order, he instructed the lower courts to record that order in their courts and in their journals, and anyone like myself, if I have to sue the insurance company, I can refer to that, and there's case history there under that case that would support my position, and I could incorporate it by reference into my position to show that I'm not guilty. Well, this court here, the clerks misplaced it, uh, didn't file it as though they were supposed to, and the judges find persons like myself that come to court to sue the insurance company to get redress, they hold me as a victim. They say that, that I, I don't have a meritorious claim, and whereby they put a sanction on me as a victim that I can't come into court unless I get leave of court first. I have to get permission from the judge, and I'm banned in 88 counties across the country from bringing suit against this insurance company. Now, the insurance company has sent me a letter that they want to settle. But I prefer to have the settlement to be done through the court system for just education. However, I can't get into court because I'm I'm a, a, a victitious litigator. And that's similar to a slave uh, back in the day who could not sue his captor because it was unlawful. So we see that being conducted here all over again in the state of Ohio. But to, to cut through the chase, what has happened is I have the entry – the entry speaks for itself, and once the entry is in the record, it becomes the law of the case. However, these judges here, they don't want to follow the law of the case, and they want to threaten me with contempt and to uh, take my liberty interest if I proceed to uh, seek redress. And so we're, we're asking that a person like yourself would aid us into having uh, the courts put under receivership. We believe that there should be a receiver put on these courts until uh, we look into this matter and see how many people have actually lost their liberty interest and are incarcerated as victims just because of malfeasance on the part of the insurance company. Okay, well, there's two, I, there's two, two things going on. One, first, we were talked about the, the lack of these oaths, and certainly you know, the oaths should be kept up to date. Um, and the formality of taking the oath and updating the oath is important. Um, as a lawyer, I, I, I tend to see it as more of an administrative problem because 
the bottom line is the judge is supposed to act consistent with the law, which includes the, the, the U.S. and the state constitution, and, right. and any disregard of the, of the constitution or any other uh, applicable piece of law is, is a problem. So, you know, that's, that's my response with regard to the lack of oath. Um, I would suggest that the problem is probably less to do with the lack of assigned oath and more to do with something, um, some type of, of problem with the court system where there's a failure on the part of the judges to uphold the Constitution yes. or act consistent with the Constitution. And and I'm, so I'm going to make this point and then see if Judge Salcido uh, wants to come in. Because one point that I have been trying to to make um, over and over again um, in interviews to, uh, as, as uh, promoting our uh, gathering in Baltimore. And that is when people such as yourself, um, you have gone from court to court, agency to agency, trying to get a fair outcome, trying to get what you see as justice, and you have not been able to get a fair outcome, then what I've been suggesting is people should understand that most likely their legal difficulties are a symptom of a larger problem, some type of failure on the part of the legal system, some type of failure on the part of the political system. And at that point, we, we should, we, I suggest that we start we become more familiar with these systems that are failing us. Rather than keep going back to the same systems that are failing us, mm-hmm. to a certain extent are geared not to give you any relief. It, we, I'm suggesting that we need to understand these systems and how they operate and what it is to take what it takes to, to correct them. And what yeah. better way to do that than to uh, form coalitions that involve every key player in the legal system that are that 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 are that is the people who use the legal system that are that is judges that is lawyers that is law professors and so often with uh, grassroots movements you have people who have been injured you have um, people who are non-lawyers and they're congregating together and they're trying to deal with the problems without bringing in the other key players, lawyers, judges, law professors. And that's part of what the Baltimore Gathering is about, bringing together all of the components. Thank you. Thank you, Zena. A question. What can we do to to be a part of what it is that you guys are doing? Because, like I said, here in Ohio – there is, they all are under the blanket of silence and also the, the grassroots level uh, community activists and different things. They are up underneath that fear and silence. And it's like Ohio is the leading uh, state to say, if you make some noise, we'll mow you over. So I'm, I'm, I am, we are not afraid uh, to stand up and to be of some some help, but we're going to need some advocacy, and we want to know what can we do to be a part of the larger picture, the network. Exactly. Well, I, I'll give you um, the citation um, to our network, the National Forum on Judicial Accountability, and I recommend that our first step uh, would be in, in, in having you all become members, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. We're at 50, the number 50, 50 states. Dot Ning, N-I-G, dot com, Wait a minute. 50 states. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Repeat that one more time, 50? 50. 50 states, S-T-A-T-E. 
S, 50 states, mm-hmm. dot Ning, N-I-N-G, dot com. It is, mm-hmm. uh, dot Ning, N-I-N-G. N-I-N-G, okay. Mm-hmm. Dot com. Dot com, okay, got it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it, it's, not a, it's not a WW, it's just HTTP colon forward slash forward slash 50states.ning.com. Now, is 50 states spelled out or is it 5-0? 5-0. 5-0. Okay. Thank and then Jess has her group that she'll tell you about. Yes. It. yes. It's, uh, the, the website is www.judicialactionwatchsociety.org. It's finally done and up. It's being powered by GoDaddy.com, so it's going to take about a few days before they approve it. It should be up next. Yes. Okay. So, um, and again, the key for, for what you asked, and I think what Zina and I are collaborating on, is education. It's like me taking my car to the mechanic time and time again, and I keep bringing it back, and I'm like, well, it's still making this bad noise, or I still don't like the way it's performing, but I haven't taken the time to figure out what I got charged for or why the spark plugs or how they work with this engine or calibration of the engine or this and that. Education, education, education. So you can't keep it wanting different results when you're doing the same thing. So, And we have to educate judges as well. And uh, that's why organizations like ours could use donations from the public so that we could give free education to already judges on the bench, because right now they're saying we don't have money to send our judicial officers for training. Really? Because we'll train you for free. But we also need someone to donate to our respective organizations so that we can provide that on a national level. So there's all kinds of ways, and like Dean is very good at saying, people can participate at any level they're comfortable with, whether it's being out in front and being an advocate or whether it's giving any organization you feel is speaking for you, Five dollars a month. Make that commitment. Okay, um, um, Mr. Hasid Ngong has a question uh, for you, um, Judge Sestalcito. Just a moment. Um, okay. I, I thank you for your comments today, and you have enlightened me on some things. What I would suggest is, if you could prepare us a packet, if you registered, uh, your organization is registered with the state, and we can register here to be official, and that way we can collect dues and we can uh, send money back to support you at the headquarters because we understand that you you can't do it without finances. And uh, we would certainly want to contribute and have the community here to contribute, and we just want to be legal about collecting those funds so we can get them to you and then we won't be scrutinized for for uh, accused of uh, collecting funds improperly or something to that nature. But if you can send us a packet, we could certainly get registered. Awesome. Well, both he and I will probably take advantage of that. I'm new to the business because I've been writing my book for the last nine months. And so just in September, Zena and I have collaborated, and we're I think we're making good progress. What did you say, Zena? Oh, for sure. I'm delighted I'm to hear the word. Oh, well, that's um, a- Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I just wanted to say some basic things. I don't think, and this is part of what the book and the website will address, is I'm not sure that the public is aware that um, there are no, at least in California, 
there are no limits on what people can donate to judicial campaigns, mm-hmm. which is and uh, which makes businesses and corporations and wealthy individuals more powerful to certain judges than to others. If you see what I'm saying, yes. that judge will get the unforeseen message, or they might be susceptible at that moment that do what we say, do how we like, or you will find yourself in a judicial campaign without the resources to defend yourself. So that's another hidden way that there's political pressure behind the scenes the public is not even aware of. And judges don't even have to articulate a reason on the record, but they know that business was the one who donated to that prior judge's campaign or found someone to run against this other judge at a prior year. Uh And you can't tell me that that may not somehow subconsciously influence their decision on who or who is not credible. Yes, yes. Um, There's another question here. Just one second. You've raised a very good point. As you said, in California, there's no limit to the money that can be collected by judges uh, for their judicial campaigns. Are are you saying that if one of these judges here does not or has not properly taken an oath and has ran unopposed and has collected funds from the community in an unlimited amount – and they're really a citizen perpetrating to have completed and complied with the law, which they haven't, you're saying that they might have taken funds improperly? I'm not saying they took it improperly, because if there's no law against it, they haven't done anything improper. And as a judge, you're always, you have campaign treasurers, you have all these people that make sure you fill out all the forms so that you can receive donations. But what I'm saying is when there are no such limits, and you think about it, we have campaign limits for presidential elections. <laughs> so why wouldn't we have campaign limits for judicial elections? Um, what I'm saying is when someone has access to wealthy friends or corporations like the way this person's political bent is, you could see how they might or may not fund that judge or his or her opponent, mm-hmm. depending on their rulings. And so this is what I'm getting at when I say that there's un, unseen pressure on judges to, and I was literally told this at one point in my first year on the bench, to go along to get along. <laughs> of course, okay. of course there, Or my judicial career would be cut short, is a direct quote. Right. Wow. I didn't go of course, there, there, I didn't go along and decision. I didn't get along. Of course, there's one legal decision after another saying that judges have the discipline and the intellect to be able to resist um, the influence of large contributions. Right. But I, right. But I, I'm like sorry. I, don't, I forget where my S was emblazoned on my chest. It's not there. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> we are human, okay? We are yeah. human. We put our pants on, our dress on, our shoes That's on, right. just like anybody else. And that is the kind of stuff, and I'm not saying you agree with it, Zena, because I know you don't. Mm-hmm. Well, that mm-hmm. was the kind of attitude that elitists, we are somehow able to rise above our humanity at all times, mm-hmm. at all times, um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. infuriated me as a judge because we are human and uh, mm-hmm. we need to remove any temptations, any un- un- uh, hidden pressures because right now I feel like, that gives wealthy individuals, it gives politically powerful individuals, 
it gives corporations an advantage over your average citizen. Because you know, they have I access like, to the judges at golf tournaments, at all these fundraisers that the public is not invited to. Things like I'd that. I'd like to talk about that, that touchy subject of um grassroots organizations and fundraising. Um, Judge Salcido in a, uh, another interview we did together made made the excellent point that uh-huh. um, we need the community to, to help us. Um, we are fighting to, to get the courts back to the citizens that it belongs to, and so we need yes. your support, and so we have to yes. pull together our nickels and dimes and, and, uh, and because we're, mm-hmm. we're up against people who are not pulling together nickels and dimes. Um, no. But but um, because I've been doing this so long, I know how touchy the subject is of um, uh, fundraising or, uh, among average citizens, particularly mm-hmm. people who have been victimized. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who, um, you know, they 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 have. We have not done that effectively. We have not taken advantage of our numbers and pulled together our small uh, whatever we can manage and, and, and pool it. Uh, and part of the reason is because of what people sense of what can be done and what should be done, which goes back to what we were saying. If you, if you realize that your legal difficulties have become symptoms of a larger problem, then it's best Then you need to get educated on what will be an effective uh, solution. And, um that that and 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 because people don't necessarily know what it what needs to be done, um, they become hesitant to fund things unless they think you know it's a good idea. Um, well, primarily because they don't know uh, exactly where uh, who to go to. They don't know who to trust anymore. Exactly. Exactly, but what has but what has happened is we've become paralyzed. We've become para, we've become paralyzed by our, our lack of information, by our lack of trust, and as a result, we're really not doing anything. So we've got to we've got to take one step and 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 move away from our paralysis. Let me give you one example that doesn't have anything to do with money, but it does have to do with people's sense of what is going to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Um, a, a, a woman sent me an email, and um, she says that, you know, one of the uh, reasons why people get impatient with grassroots organizations is she says they, you know, they get tired of being put off. Uh, they, they get, they're told, um, well, we, we haven't gotten to your case yet. Um, you know, we'll get to yours next month. Or, and, and they feel like, you know, when are you going to get to my case? Okay, I have not responded to her message yet, but I can address that um, with you all tonight. When you have, when when you have, uh, Just Alcido and all of us on, on on the program tonight, we are working on your case. Okay. When we are out, when we are out talking with people in the community, try, trying to create coalitions trying to, to make people understand that solidarity is what's necessary, um, trying to build, um, to, trying to get people educated, trying to build coalitions um, that include all the key players in the legal system, we are working on your case. So I guess I would sum it up by saying one of our misconceptions is that you're not being helped unless I'm directly, specifically working on a, a legal case that you're you're that that is your specific legal case. That is a misconception. Good point, Tina. Good point. And, and all of us, we have to think about the bigger picture 
by re rethinking issues, by refocusing attention on the systemic chronic problems of the court, uh, you will indirectly benefit. You're not going to get a letter from so-and-so Zena Crenshaw Logan's law firm saying the judge ruled in your favor, but her efforts and my efforts combined raise the consciousness uh, that maybe influenced that person's perspective that benefited you in the long term. Yes, yeah, see, see, when we build a coalition, when, we, when we're when we working with people across the country who um, agree with us, um, who, ha- who have come to, uh, we, we're working on the same strategy. When you get mm-hmm. a letter from, a, from an organization that has that kind of base, that mm-hmm. letter will have much more impact if we don't take the time to build that coalition. So uh, even though at the moment we're not working in your case directly, ultimately all of this benefits each of us. Well, that, that term in? being floated around is critical Excuse mass, me. critical mass, and that's what we're hoping to reach, that critical mass okay. point. Okay, I would like to interject in and um, speak on uh, where we can raise money on a receivership uh, campaign. Um, being that um, I am the uh, founder of Families and Victims of Fraud, which we here in Columbus, Ohio, we do research to find uh, what's going on in the judicial system with their paperwork, uh, trying to find uh, the discrepancies uh, parallel to what you guys are doing in dealing with the judges uh, standing on what is being decided uh, through president cases. However, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm very uh, interested in finding out what we can do to come together to to make something happen also here for Columbus, Ohio. It is very imperative that we need not just only services, uh, but services that can be trusted, uh, that the grassroots community can lean on, and that um, they're not going to be uh, any longer victimized and defrauded uh, uh, in receiving services that are supposed to help them uh, through the trials that they go through with the legal system. And I would like to uh, find out what we can do to raise money, you know, with you uh, as a receivership in, in, on a campaign. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, uh, that that project is is a, um, a a very important project, and it needs to be approached um, carefully and thoughtfully. Um, because you're looking at legal action, so you need to um, identify who your lawyers are going to be, and you are going to need to be able to fund fund things, um, not only the legal action, but you're, you'll also need to fund the operation because you need to get people identified. You be, need to be able to get their contact information collected uh, so people can be notified as to what's going on. Um, so... I, I do a lot of that. I work not I, – here's another hat. I work with another group, and part of what we do is go into communities and help them build, create these campaigns. And, um, you know, I work out strategies for getting them staffed and work on strategies for getting them funded. Now, insofar as the trust issues, um, that is a, a catch-22 uh, because what happens is – 
and this is from personal experience. People, they want to be told that it can be that that everything can happen overnight. That yeah. you know, just leave it up to me. I and sit, go home, and, uh-huh. and I'll call you when it's all going to be done. But when you say, okay, what I need is I need who is going to be available Saturday for two hours to pass out flyers. Uh, who is going yeah. to be able to come um, once once a week and 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 enter names into the computer? That is how you get relief. And um, you know, when people start, uh, you know, then. You 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 encourage people to come in and tell you, oh, just uh, leave, give me five hundred dollars, I take care of it. So it's it's a, it's a, it's a two way street. People have had their trust, uh, they they have been betrayed by people who who have promised quick solutions and didn't deliver. But when people are frank with you and say, okay, this is what it's going to take. We're going to have to get ourselves organized. Uh, we're going to have to pool our manpower and our resources, then we need for you to be willing to do that. And I start telling us, well, what does that have to do with my case? Because these these problems are bigger than any one case. Um, It's a systemic problem, and we've got to be as systematic as the problem that we're fighting. Yes. Like, for example, can I just give a little local example? Here we have um, a mayoral race going on in San Diego, and we have our local district attorney is running for mayoral office. And some people who don't know much about how the system has its own form of disease and and ailments seem to think that if she were to be elected to mayor, that would be great for all these crime victims and other people because then she wouldn't be in the office anymore to ruin future victims' cases, for example, like on the domestic violence situation I spoke of earlier. But what they're failing to understand is that she is just the current figurehead in that system. That snake, you can kill that snake, but it will grow another head. It's part of a systemic problem that needs to be addressed. So one other thing is we can't demonize individual judges or political figures and say if only that person were out of office or if only right. that judge was no longer a judge. Because uh, what I'm trying to do through my book and the website, and I think what Zena's trying to do is show that you could still replace that person, but until you fix the bigger issue, you're going to just get the new replacement for that same ill diseased system. So I was wondering if we took and we came together and to uh, do a fundraiser and, and perhaps uh, have – you and Zena and some others to come here to Columbus, Ohio, to speak at the convention center at the uh, Vets Memorial here uh, where we can raise funds for not just only for families and victims of fraud, but also for your organizations uh, uh, to, uh, to, to give a chance for the people to hear uh, what is out here, what, what, what's being put out here for their uh, relief uh, uh, of services that can help. So how, how would you feel about that? Well, that's, that's the kind of stuff I do. Um, I've been doing it for a long time. Um, Judge Salcedo, um, is, her group is, is just getting started, but I'm sure she will, I'll let her speak for herself. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's that's my ear, obviously. That, that so, yes, promotional I have a, book would be, 
the book tour, yes. you know, the promotional book tour that you talked about, Jazz Salcido. Oh, for sure. That book tour is something we could use. And um, I am uh, looking to be um, perhaps on the L.A. radio station soon. That's also something I'm working on, on legal issues to be addressed in the public. So um, there is something to be said, and I'm certainly not going to um, say I would never want to do that because I, I want to be a public figure. I want to be a motivational speaker. I want to educate the public. And so any help you can give me, I want to help you in return. And that's why we're out here speaking like this for free right now to the public. But um, this is something, I appreciate that. I, I would rather pursue this off air so that we can still attend to educating the public right now and addressing any other questions. But definitely off air, let's talk. Okay. Um, yeah, um, I think that it would be worth it, you know, because um, we're trying to find all types of ways to, to uh, bring in fundraising to help uh, each other uh, as we're coming together to uh, bring, uh, bring a, a good cause uh, to help the people uh, that are being victimized and defrauded of rights. And, you know, and, and, and I even have my husband. My husband, he is an excellent, extraordinary uh, sculptor, and 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 uh, portrait artists uh, that we can also use as a part of the uh, fundraising uh, uh, for justice. And I, I I find that what we are talking about today is very well needed. Um, I really do thank you for allowing me to have the honors to uh, speak and or and and allow you know just to interview you guys because we. We have been looking for something like this for quite a while, and it's just a pleasure to uh, to have a chance to hear that somebody out there is uh, standing up and speaking up and speaking out uh, against, uh, you know, injustices done by our legal system. It's a refreshing thing to hear this. So I'm, I'm going ahead and I'm going to take a pause here, and uh, and I'll be back. Um, need to need to reflect a little bit. And, and get my paperwork together here, and we will finish where we left off. Please stay on stay on the air, and we will be right back, okay? Taking a small pause for the call. Yes, thank you.
Welcome to the Lordy Miss Clardy Blog Talk Radio Show for October 15, 2011, and we are still on the subject of the legal system. Can the average American get justice? And also, if you have any comments, anything you want to say, please call in at the call-in number of 347-884-8684. That number again is 347-884-8684. And our guest that we're speaking with is Judge Salcedo and also with Attorney Zena Crenshaw Logo and also with our in-house guest, which is community activist Hasid Nagon. And we are still on the subject of can the average American get justice when our legal system repeatedly hands them injustice and so can the legal system be reformed? That's that's the number one thing that we want to know. Can it really be reformed? And getting back to the subject, and I will uh, open up the floor to anyone that may want to uh, talk on this specific question, which is: Is it real? Can you really reform this system from? Uh, from where they are right now, is what what solutions can be given to help in reforming uh, the legal system? Anybody have comments on that? The floor is open. Absolutely, you can. Okay. Absolutely, and it's it's about organization. Uh, it's, it's it's about moving from the anger and the frustration and the fear and getting organized. Um, the United America is a democracy. What we have to do is use the democratic process to our advantage. If we have prosecutors who are not responsive to our complaints, then they run for election. And what we have to be prepared to do is identify candidates who will support the positions and, and the um, initiatives that we support, and we need to be able to go out there and have house parties for the, these uh, public officials fundraise for these public officials, uh, man phone banks, pass out flyers, and then we also need to be prepared to do the same thing um, in opposition to people who we feel are are betraying the public trust. So it's it's about getting beyond the anger and getting organized. Yes, and I said, may I add that, please? Um, One of the things is uh, she said talking about supporting initiatives. And um, one of the things I'm obviously advocating is state-by-state review of judicial campaign limits. Um, Another thing I'm advocating is a state-by-state review of what training is provided to judges. And not only what training is provided, I myself attended a lot of training as a judge. But I also noticed that some of my colleagues at these trainings acted like it was a frat party. They had been out partying the night before, and maybe they needed 10 cups of coffee for the next morning seminar at taxpayers' expense, and I wasn't sure that they were actually listening to the presentation that was being provided as judicial education. So there needs to be not only a requirement that they attend, but a requirement that they pass a proficiency test on what they were trained on. So this idea that they're superhuman and that, you can trust us to be above human tendencies. We don't get hangovers. We're, we're judges. That's that's a crock. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 this this is Hasid Nagon. I, I, I listen to both of your comments, and 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 I do not disagree with what you're saying. 
But in Columbus, Ohio, we we have a little different uh, uh, problem here. Uh, see, you, you were talking about the judicial limits on uh, campaign contributions, and uh, I, I, I don't know if you all remember Judge Al Hastings, federal judge. Yes. Federal Judge Al Hastings was on the bench, and he was he was incarcerated for accepting a fifty thousand dollar bribe uh, in his courtroom, and there's a, a couple other judges who have been removed from the bench. Ohio needs to have some bracelets put on the cuffs of uh, some of these judges, and they need to be carted off as a deterrent. And I think that that is the only way that we're going to bring justice back to to Ohio because, uh, I mean, it's just so ramp, rampant that they don't have a fear. There's no one to uh, enforce them. They regulate themselves, and they're above the law at every turn. And, I mean, we use capital punishment as a deterrent in this country, and there's no deterrent for a judge who wants to get on the bench and do his own thing. And and, and so uh, what do you think about that? Gina, well, do you want to go I mean, first? I'll go first, whatever you want. Um, judge Elsie, do you want to go first? Sure. As you were speaking, sir, what came to mind for me was my initial reaction when I heard about those judges in that southern state, I believe it was, that were sending juveniles to a juvenile camp in exchange for, you know, payoffs, basically. I mean, uh, you, 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 are you familiar with that situation? Did you guys hear about that one where juveniles were yeah. being sent oh, away sure. to juvenile camps? Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, I know the initial reaction, everybody was like, oh, that judge is evil, that judge is greedy, that judge is corrupt. All true, probably. I don't know that person, but I don't know how you could defend that. But my other reaction to that was this is systemic. Where was the prosecutor speaking at? That, where was the defense attorney? And, again, it's Absolutely. a reflection. Where, it's a reflection. Where were the probation officers? How was That's this right. allowed to go on without people speaking up? So it's very easy to say that judge took the money because there were no consequences for that judge. But we're well, looking at goes- systemic. It has to go back to the prosecutors who knew that that child didn't deserve that punishment but they didn't want to say anything because they want to get endorsements when they decide absolutely. they want to be a judge. That's okay? absolutely right. Same with yes. the defense attorney. Why weren't they going to the press? Or, and, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, defense attorneys are not credible. Well, that's just a knee-jerk reaction. So that's why we're trying to raise consciousness that it's a, a system-wide problem, not that individual person. That individual right. person became vulnerable because the system has problems that haven't been corrected. Well, definitely, so you know, uh, we need to look at the bigger picture. Okay, and 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 to add to that, uh, to that systemic issue that you just spoke on, right here in Columbus, Ohio, again, you know, where they're binding up kids uh, between the uh, binding over, okay, the children at the age of sixteen and seventeen years old, and making them serve longer sentences which, you know, uh, stops them from being able to reproduce and also is genocide. And, you know, uh, the, the things that you guys are speaking about are very, very timely because this is what's really happening right here in Columbus, Ohio. This is why it's so important, you know, uh, to, to find help any way that we can in order to, to bring some some reform to a system that can actually use uh, 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 people as a way to peddle money. 
You know, and I'm being very honest about what I just said there, but, you know, and especially our children. I would like to, um, it's so difficult given these um, websites on the air, um, but I've helped administer another group called Popular, P-O-P-U-L-A-R, and our website is www.popular, P-O-P-U-L-A-R, for the number four, popularforpeople.org. And we, we... we approach these strategies two different ways. Through popular, we will come into a community and look at the specific okay. problems of that community. And Thank we you. help work out a manageable, affordable, and effective solution for that community. Then through okay. um, the National Forum on Judicial Accountability, we come in and we uh, help that community move towards uh, citizen oversight of the judiciary. But we were um, we worked you know, I, it's, it's interesting, oh, and if um, uh, Mr. Fogg was on the phone, he would tell you that he's heard the same thing. People always say, oh, my, my area is really bad, it's unique. I used to think that smaller communities like the one I live in um, had more problems than more urban metro areas. It's national. It's national. Yes, it is. We, we have worked. Very much so. We've worked with Popular um, in West Texas, where the prosecutor, where the—I won't even say the prosecutor—whether the where the legal system, criminal and civil legal system, it, it seems like they were feeding the prison industry um, minorities, young um, Hispanic yes. blacks, and poor yes. whites. I mean, Absolutely. they were literally feeding them. I mean, people, they would have, um, we heard one story after another where perhaps there was some youthful indiscretion, and they were literally spending the the prime years of their life in prison on nonsense. Uh, and that was in West Texas, and we worked there. Um, so we, we, we definitely uh, are sensitive to, to these issues, and um, I know I can speak for myself, I, I, and I, I'm sure I can speak for Judge Salcido. I realize the seriousness of the problems. This is not about uh, bumper sticker slogans. This is not about gimmicks. You're dealing with some serious community problems, and we're talking about um, manageable, affordable, and effective solutions. Yeah, also, thank you. That's, that's good. That's good. But it also takes people in the community uh, being sincere, being realistic, uh, not asking, not not expecting um, uh, shortcuts, quick fixes, and um, that's not to suggest that you need to hunker down and wait for years to get any justice. Um, but you have to give it time for organization. Uh, you can't just um, um, run out in the street with no plan and just vent. That's right. You know, that's right. You have to have a definition have, of what, of yeah, what that, are we. That's right. I agree. Find success. How are you? How are we defining success? And what can Nafoja and Jaws agree? They would both agree would be a successful result. Well, exactly. is that common ground? Exactly. And so, yeah. And what what Zena's really good at is saying, yes, we will look into this. We will we will add your factual history into our database to use it to educate legislators, senators, other judges. But in exchange for this letter saying we we hear this person. We want you to agree to hold three educational meetings in your house, invite friends to learn about the system and, and spread the word. We need to that keep would be spreading the word. That's excellent. 
And one of the things that I, I want to add is that and we emphasized with Nafoja, and, and, and you read in my bio, I say I try to get past debates about judicial integrity. It's not as yes. if we can't, it's not as if, um, you know, sometimes there, there there's corruption, sometimes there's crooks, sometimes you do have to focus on individuals. But what one of the things we're saying with regard to the judiciary is that we have just put too much power in the hands mm, of the mm, judiciary. Mm, that's right. It is our that's country. Right. It is we the people. And we have we have we the judiciary, right. a group, a relatively small group, has all this power over literally life, liberty and um our, every aspect of our life. And when we when we feel there's a miscarriage of justice, we're going back to the same judges uh are either uh the prosecutors who work closely with judges and we're trying and, and we're trying to get relief from this small group, and mm-hmm. and that's what the point mm-hmm. is about. This there should be more direct citizen involvement. So right. in I other know. words, yes. we don't care how honest or are are good the judges are. That's what I'm right. really trying to get at, or how bad right. they are. We've given right. them too much power, and we need to right. take back that's that right. power through the legislative power. That's right. Uh, that's, that's absolutely right. I like that. We would be giving them too much power, and 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 it's a sad thing. After binding them over, they now have privatized prisons to manipulate their labor. You know, that's a. It, it's really sad. It's really, as you said before, it's a national thing going on. It's across the board, and you know, and it's time to now put the foot down. Well, besides what's going on in the criminal court, the juvenile justice system. There's a national epidemic in the family court system, which I would yes, be remiss if I didn't if I, if I didn't mention that. Um, but when we say we've given the judges too much power, okay, I, I'm not obviously I, I'm a whistleblower. I have my own issues. I made my own uh, my own enemies and friends. The same thing some people love about me is the same thing others hate about me, which is I speak my mind. Okay, um, but what I was going to get at is. Uh, we need to caution when we say that statement because I think we haven't so much given them too much power as we've given them too much unchecked power. And then we haven't mm-hmm. really properly followed the trail of money and who's giving the judicial branch that money. And I'm going to tell you, it's the legislature that funds most state judicial branches, okay, uh-huh. or the federal branch. And these legislatures are rising up from your local state politicians to become your state assembly persons, your state lieutenant governor, and your governors who then appoint judges. And this is a part of the system that we need to start educating the public on is that unchecked, okay? The judges also have to go to the legislature to get funding for their courthouse, okay? Well, those legislators need reelection. Okay, so this is how we start getting this sort of uh, incestual relationships where you're scratching my back and I'm scratching yours, but all that's ever happened is everybody's making sure they're still getting a paycheck but not the public's business being conducted. And that's the part that I'm trying to get the word out is in keeping your job funded judge X, Y, and Z or your reelection fund going legislator so-and-so, where was this discussion about what, how was the public being served? And that is what has been lost. Right. Man. And just, I, see I am you lost say, for words. We, you say we've given them too much unchecked power, and um, 
it, we're probably just it's probably just a, a game of words because what has happened is that um, on I I focus on the federal judiciary, they have managed to uh, eliminate a lot of the checks through through judicial rules through judicial rulings, um, and then the executive and legislative branch who are supposed to provide this oversight. Um, what triggers them? Most of the time, is you have to have a massive public outcry or some political agenda, and right. So, yeah, I mean, even with the Commission on Judicial Performance in California, the judges that are on there are not on there because they're getting paid to be on there, and they're just loving the extra income. They're on there because they want to put it on their resume, okay? Mm. Because they're looking for appellate court appointments, and then from the appellate Ooh. court justice. They're looking to be on the California Supreme Court. And the people that are on the California Supreme Court that are, quote, volunteering their time to review judges are looking to be appointed to the federal bench. So, are you serious? Yes. This is how it's happening. And so that's why you don't have all, you have selective wow. enforcement of judges. And that's why you have some judges just get a, don't do that again. We're going to, you know, put you in the uh, timeout for five minutes. And other judges are, like, publicly raked and cold because, depends on who's got the political power behind that judge. Okay, so I'm going to ask this question. Does the judicial self-policing offend, if not violate, that 10th Amendment of our U.S. Constitution? That's a question, you know, not taking it off the subject, but adding to that. Well, that that subject relates to the federal courts, most of all. And I would say that it does offend the Tenth Amendment because the Tenth, tenth, tenth Amendment says whatever powers that are not specifically given to the federal government is reserved to the states and to the to, to the people. And what has happened is that um, judges, federal judges, are creating um, uh, barriers, immunities for themselves. They're limiting your ability to hold them accountable. They're limiting um, the opportunities that you, uh, the circumstances in which you can charge them with misconduct. Uh, For example, uh, and with federal judge, you cannot uh, uh, base a a disciplinary action on some uh, some ruling in a judge's case. That happens Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. on the state level too, but on the federal level, they have what's called a, a merits of the case exception. Well, it's a form of immunity where if a judge is going to show bias against you, most likely they're going to do it in their legal decision. That if someone someone is getting a judge's, uh, uh, trying to influence a a judge, um, they're doing it so that the judge will use his or her discretion for their benefit in a case. They're not hiring the judge to be... uh, a driver at a bank heist, they're, they're, you know, they want the judge to make a specific ruling. So how can the rules say, well, if you want to charge this judge with misconduct, you can't use uh, any decision they made in the case as evidence? Correct. I mean, it, okay, I it's it's yeah. ridiculous. I would it's invite ridiculous. Wendy to go look at even just my situation. I had 90 exhibits, 90 exhibits attached to my writ showing where the judge's Knowingly and willfully violated established mandatory law on domestic violence cases. Okay, knowingly mm-hmm. violated it. Just outright, if it was a law law officer committing domestic violence, did not order that law officer 
to turn in his or her weapons for the next five years, okay? Just failed to do it. It's basic, right? Mm-hmm. But they didn't do it. Why? Because the Sheriff's Association funds campaigns. My, my. Boy, this is deep. This is so deep. So that's what my lawsuit was about. And I had proof. That's why I have not been sued for defamation. Okay. In this this Iqbal case, my law review article uh, argues that um, if you you have, uh, the judges have essentially uh, made it impossible for people to get them criminally prosecuted based Mm -hmm. on uh, Mm -hmm. their uh, decision to throw out uh, a, a case. Um, so basically, they they are. This is not a power that is that uh, they're basically uh, denying uh, individuals their rights and uh, offending. I believe the power that's been reserved to the, to uh, we the people. Okay, can I ask a question? Um, if Please? immunity is lost because the judge has improperly taken an oath, can that judge be prosecuted as a citizen? Does the, well, the, the lack of an oath invalidate the, their authority? Um, I, I, I have not done any research. I, I, I'm, I am I'm doubtful that that, that mean, is only, the interpretation that I'm, would be made by a court of law. I mean, yeah, my, my, my quick legal computer in my brain is saying no, because I know even before they could do their first case, they would have technically had to stand before the public and be sworn in with just one witness. And okay. anything after that is just mi- what they call ministerial. I see. And so, uh, okay, getting back to uh, uh, how how some of the judges uh, uh, be in, if I can use this word, in cahoots, with uh, the other officials when they are protecting their rights under immunity. And if that judge, even though you're stating that uh, judges usually are in the open when they're doing oaths, uh, but the paperwork is improperly uh, 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 out of of order, uh, that doesn't say the same thing that they openly have oath to, is it possible that on paper, which, again, we are researchers, and we have found documentation where even if they did speak these things openly in public, their paperwork is not concurrent with it. I think for sure it's a serious problem. I hear the same arguments made with regard to legal judgments that are not signed. And right. It's, these technicalities. Right. Yes, these are these, these technicalities are serious. They're problematic, but I would suspect that if a, if a lawsuit was ever filed and these issues, if someone was trying to argue that um, because this oath was missing or because this judgment was signed, therefore everything yes. has happened is null and void, I would believe that they would rule that it doesn't go that far. Right. Because okay. you always have to look at it's a harm harm based. Uh, rulings usually. Yeah. Okay. So let's say that's true. The legal analysis would be: How did that directly harm you? Where's your right. standing? How now, did that directly harm you? That's how my case got 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 kicked out because they said I didn't have standing. People have lost their homes. People have been locked up without fair justice 
based up off of the things that we are talking about, which mm-hmm. is dealing with the immunities of, you know, those government officials that they are uh, secretly trying to keep uh, uh, hidden so that they can stay uh, in their positions that they are in to continue to make a systemic problem that we are dealing with right now today uh, with, with the specific areas that you guys are talking about and also uh, the binding up of, the, you know, the youth and also homes being taken and going to jail, you know, and no judge's signatures, the whole bit, you know. And so we would have to really take it down to the to the uh, to the nitty gritty, take it to the wire uh, that it has to be found on documents, even though they may have stated things openly. But the documents but, um, are saying something. Wendy, totally Wendy, different. if I could just interject, I, I almost want to say, and I don't mean any disrespect by this, but I'm just saying, it potentially that argument by itself is a red herring, if only because the Ooh. bigger picture is going to be this. You're going to say that judge that failed to file that paperwork, failed to um, follow the Constitution, and they're just going to fall back on, I used my judicial discretion, which when you go to the higher courts to review the exercise of that judicial discretion, it's such a broad standard, you have to find that it was an abuse of this judicial discretion that no reasonable person could possibly look at that same set of facts and come up with that conclusion. And it's just right for the ability for someone to just rubber stamp judicial yes. discretion. As, bottom, as long as yes, the, the judge bottom. said, I considered X, Y, and Z on the record, there's no one that can say that they didn't consider X, Y, and Z, even if yes, the judge but, knows they only carried about Z. They only cared about Z and the ruling. You see, follow my logic here? So they well, do the not have the right is, paperwork. Yeah, bottom line is judicial discretion is their, is their little cloak. It's even it's an even simpler consideration. Nunc part talk, no new part talk, okay. And that that means that a, a, a court can um, issue an order as, back to a date in, in the past and call it new part talk as it's always written. I think that's the translation. But the, right. not to be discouraged. The point is we need to find the strongest way to challenge these this this systemic. Uh, Misconduct that you're describing. Um, we, we're not optimistic about uh, basing the challenge, especially not solely on lack of oaths or unsigned uh, judgment. That may be one of the allegations where you uh, question, because sometimes there, there's even case law that says while one isolated uh, uh, irregularity in and of itself may not be enough, uh, uh, in, in, in what is it called, um, comprehensive. Um, when you have a series of problems, they all add up and they make a difference, even though any one of them in themselves, by themselves, wouldn't you know, right. uh, win the day. Yeah. So, and we, and, and that's a good point that you made. That it should be comprehensive. We do have a series of cases. We can show that this is not an isolated incident or just random selection, but this is this is a culture and a climate that is really biased to society as a whole. And one of the other things that you mentioned about uh, judicial uh, discretion, uh, we believe that if the judge did not have a proper oath, the judge would not be entitled to any discretionary power whatsoever. And if the judge did find a basis 
anymore. They would have to certainly prove that it wasn't abuse of that discretionary power in the in taking the action that they took. But on, on in closing, I'd, I'd like to invite you all to come and that we can uh, network together here and bring the people closer together uh, as one, and we can raise some 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 monies in the coffer to really attack this this problem you you guys seem to have a lot of energy going and you have experience we consider you the experts and we invite you to come in all right do i have to go there in the winter <laughs> no, we can, we, can, we, can, we can make it six months from now. You know, the way I've been saying that I've been here in my Southern California. <laughs> oh, I understand. I understand. The weather is beautiful there. Uh, I'm like keeping it real, okay? Am I, am I keeping it real here? Because I like to keep it real. But I, I can wear, I can wear layers. I know how to layer. I'm just saying. <laughs> This judge has taken on the entire state judicial system in California, but she doesn't want to take on a Midwest winter. I know. Hey, I, I don't hey, like the hey. cold weather, but, you know, whatever i got to do to keep my doors open, whatever I can do. Judge Salcino, you uh, you are welcome to come in, in April. The weather will be broken, and we'll have some sunshine. <laughs> oh, I don't mean nothing by that. I love Cleveland. One of my best right. friends is born and raised out there in Ohio, so. I'm just messing with you guys. It is all. This is awesome. Um, I just I, I have learned so much uh, having the opportunity to interview you all uh, as you go forth and to get your convention going on. I would love uh, for us to uh, network and and uh, stay close uh, because uh, we need some hope, and it sounds like there's hope here, and um, and we. And yeah, and lots of energy, and uh, which we don't have that here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, we're we're the only ones that's stamping out uh, out there in the cold <laughs> for people to, to come on board. <laughs> yeah. But they say well, they yeah, say I was that if I'm not willing to go out there and do that for you guys, then what 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 was all I talking about for the last what two hours? So no problem. Yeah. I just was. Showing off the fact that I live in San Diego, I guess. <laughs> yes, I appreciate I appreciate you guys coming on to the show and sharing such important information as this. Uh, definitely, you know, we need we need this here. We need uh, the people to uh, be educated here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, hopefully, that you guys will give us the honors to have you here. And most of all, I certainly appreciate you both being on the Lardy Miss Clardy Blog Talk Radio Show, uh, sharing this information. And uh, I'll be sure to uh, advertise and get it out. Uh, about your convention that's going on in Washington, D.C. at the Baltimore University um, uh, on on the subject of uh, the symposia for um, – for, uh, the, the Doctrine of Precedent. Yeah, yes, yes. Very yes. decisive. Well, we appreciate it because we, we, we want to show uh, – uh, uh, we want to um, have numbers because we want the professors that we're bringing into to our coalition to be encouraged. If if people who have been directly impacted by abuses of the legal system, if we're not willing to show up, then it's going to be very hard, if not impossible, to get people who, who have not lived this nightmare to right. be prepared to do something about it. So um, you, you, um, you can go and you can register to attend online. 
and um, okay. and and that's very important that you get that done uh, as soon as possible because we're going to run out of time uh, to be able to process people's registration. So I just encourage you all to get that done. Okay, yeah. that means that we can go online and participate. Mm-hmm. Uh, can mm-hmm. we do walk in? Walk in. Um, if you're in the Baltimore area, you certainly can um, come. At, we're going to be at the University of Baltimore. Uh, okay. And all that, if you go to that uh, 50states.ning.com, you'll see yes. information about the symposium, and you'll be able to click on and get all the information that you need. Okay, we have that. And, you know, okay. and definitely uh, we will we will at least participate online. I would like yes. to uh, participate, yes. And, again, this has been a very, 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 I, I mean, I'm so lost of words because things that were being said was, you know, it's like when you're starving for information and you want, you know, the public to know what's going on. And this here is was like a breath of fresh air, definitely. Um, it was very, very good for the soul and for the mind, and I appreciate it very much, both of you, for being on the you're show, welcome. Judge. And, and we you know, appreciate you as very well. Much. Thank One you. One last thing, if I could, until the website is up, probably next week, people can also leave comments or have questions uh, on Facebook for me uh, at the Judicial okay. Action Watch Society. So. Okay, great. Thank you. And I also, I also want you to know, uh, Zena, you know, um, I am surprised at this, but I have had, after the two years of being here on the Lardy Miss Cardi Block Talk radio show, I have... Uh, now incurred tw- over twenty two thousand listeners. Oh, you're one. Oh, that's wonderful. That's and you're very wonderful. You see, I, I I made a beeline to ask you know the, to to talk with you in light of our upcoming event because I I know that um you you command a lot of respect and uh, it's you 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 encourage me and I'm sure you encourage just Salcedo just as if oh, yeah. you say we have um done for you. Yes. Yes, and I am very, very, uh, as I said before, you know, it's phenomenal for me, you know, as a rookie of myself, but yet, you know, I am out here trying to bring uh, information, uh, uh, anything that can be done to help to liberate the minds of those that are living fear from being victimized and defrauded about our system, and it's just a pleasure to have had this time to uh, to talk and to gain more understanding as to what we can do to help to reform and to uh, bring the hopes of the people back alive because people are afraid to stand up and but there's other ways like you said Jessica um you know people can can uh, contribute in other areas but for people like ourselves we are on the line to uh, bring whatever information to help uh, people become more informed in making more informed decisions. And it's just a pleasure. I I am very, very uh, satisfied with today's subject. I'm sorry that um, I just want to uh, say um, Mr. Fogg is traveling. I mean, he's literally just barely ever, he lives in the D.C. area, and he's always just from coast to coast. And he would have been a real treat, and I'm sure he'll welcome an opportunity to perhaps come on in the future. Most definitely. I would love to have him and you both back, definitely. And definitely we got to do this again. Thank you for coming on to the Cardi Miss Cardi Blog Talk radio show. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. 
Yes, have a wonderful evening. And that's it for now on the Lardy Myth Party Blog Talk Radio Show. You have heard from Judge Salcedo and from Attorney Zena Crenshaw Logo on the subject of can the average American get justice when our legal system repeatedly hands them injustice. And that is the subject for today, and we thank you very much, all you listeners out there uh, with the law, uh, the Lardy Miss Clardy Blog Talk Radio Show. And, you know, and just encourage you to not give up on fighting for your rights. There are people that are out here that are getting things together to bring more hope and a brighter future to being able to have justice and to have equality in our judicial system. So don't give up the hope. Stand and stand up and stand some more because definitely there are people on the rise that are coming together to be of help to you. And we thank you very much for this evening. You have a blessed evening. We will continue to our next show for next week. Please be there or be square. All right? Thank you for coming on to the Lardy Miss Cardi Blog Talk Radio Show. Thank you very much for your participation. Uh, Hasid Nagon, which he is the uh, community activist here in Columbus, Ohio. And we will be back with more important information next week. Please have a wonderful evening and think on these things. God be for us, who can be against us. God bless you. Good night. Good night. Thank you.